Uh, it's a marathon. Uh, having to sprint over there, change real quick. Uh, but anyway, if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 18. Uh, this morning we will uh, finish up uh, 18th chapter of Acts. Uh, next week we will start a, a Christmas, uh, not really calling it a series, but we're just going to walk through the first 18 verses of, of God's gospel. John's gospel, John's gospel, God's gospel. It's a marathon. New words up here. Uh, John chapter 1, 1 through 18 is where we're going to be for uh, the next three weeks. Uh, we'll break that down into three sermons, and uh, then in the new year, we'll pick back up in, in Ephesus with Paul uh, in the book of Acts. And so anyway, uh, a couple of announcements. Luke this morning is at uh, Lake Forest Ranch up in Macon, Mississippi, uh, finishing up a winter camp uh, for, I think he said, about five different youth groups that are there. Uh, I think he said like 500 kids are there. Uh, and so anyway, they're finishing up. I think he's preaching Philippians 4 uh, this morning, so we'll be in prayer for him. Uh, as you look at the bulletin, uh, next Sunday uh, is our, our kids' Christmas program, and I'm excited about it. Uh, they've been working on it for a long time and been working hard. I got to see some of the uh, some of it this past Wednesday when I came and picked up the, the girls. Uh, and so a reminder, parents, that the kids will meet in the sanctuary this Wednesday for another run-through, and the youth will meet over in the Ed building. Uh, and I think Carrie is saying, I know she'll send out some messages, but uh, for next Sunday morning, if the kids can be here by 9.15, uh, especially those who have costumes and changes and things like that. And so please make plans to be here for that. They, they are going to lead the music. So the band uh, would just have a song, I think, maybe, maybe two, um, but it'll be mostly the kids taking part of the, the music section of our worship service. And then I'll come up, or Luke will come up and start John chapter 1 uh, following that. So please, please make plans uh, to be here for that. Another, speaking of that, uh, we need your help, uh, men with big muscles, or even if you don't have big muscles, you don't have to be a man. If you just be, have a willing body. Uh, we have risers up in the, the balcony that we're going to bring down and put on the stage for the program next Sunday, so we need your help getting those down. So if you can stay afterwards and get with Carrie and Nicole or Nicole, uh, and they'll give us directions. So I think that is... It. Uh, we also, we will have, I don't know why I have to announce this, but we will have church on Christmas Eve. Uh, and so, you know, Christmas Eve is on Sunday. We will still gather as the body, especially on that day. Uh, but anyway, uh, Acts chapter 18, if you remember, uh, last week, uh, Luke walked us through the, the end of the second missionary journey. And we saw kind of the beginning of the third. And so if you remember, uh, when he left Corinth, let's pick up in verse 18. That's not going to come up on the screen, but you pick up in verse 18. Uh, that Paul stayed there in Corinth many more days, and then he, he finally left, and he took his new friends with him, Priscilla and Aquila. That's important for today's text. And so he takes them from Corinth, and they go to Ephesus. And when they get to Ephesus, Paul stays there for not long, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. And then the Bible says that after he leaves there, uh, that he goes uh, to Caesarea, uh, he went to Jerusalem, and then he went to Antioch. And then here's the beginning. It's not in big bold, but here's the beginning of the third missionary journey. It starts just like the second one. Next, he went through uh, from one place to the next to the region of Galatia, Phrygia, and some uh, strengthened all the disciples. And so when we, when we ended last week, uh, Paul spent some amount of time in Antioch. We don't know how long he was there, but then he began, just like he did his second missionary journey, went back to the Galatian territory and began his missionary journey, third missionary journey. Everybody with me? Uh, 
and simultaneously, he, he, like I said, he leaves Ephesus and then he goes all the way to Antioch back. Simultaneously, as he's going about there, we meet a new guy. Uh, his name's Apollos, and that's who we're going to study this morning. Very interesting guy. Uh, and uh, very zealous, very knowledgeable. Uh, there's some things that I don't quite, or it's not 100% clear to me about him, and we'll, I'll be honest as we walk through that, as we kind of converse uh, with the word, if you will, on that. But anyway, let's pick up in verse 24. So as Paul is over in Galatia area, strengthening the disciples, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was, elo- he was an eloquent man, competent in scriptures, in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So far, it's like, boom, this guy, awesome. But then it says this, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and here, as Paul's friends, that he remember he left in Ephesus, now Apollos is there. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, notice what they didn't do. They didn't go to social media and make a post. What is it? They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, which is Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was, that the Christ was Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray now that you'll speak to us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe uh, that which you have for us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. I think the text breaks down in, in three points. And uh, number one is that Apollos comes in on fire, but he's flickering. Uh, he, he comes in bold and it's almost like he's a renegade when, he, when you start reading. If you're just reading this as if it's a story that you've never heard before, Paul's doing his thing and all of a sudden there's just this random dude that shows up in Ephesus we know nothing about and he comes in guns a-blazing. So he comes in firing, but we, on fire, but you see him flickering because there's some things that he didn't understand. Secondly, we see the Priscilla and Aquila filled in the gaps for him. And then thirdly, Apollos leaves more on fire and he goes to Corinth. And so anyway, that's how we'll break down the text. So taking notes, number one, Apollos comes in on fire, but he's flickering just a little bit. Uh, the text says that he is from Alexandria, which is Egypt. And Alexandria uh, was an intellectual center. It was renowned for its library that was eventually destroyed. Uh, but nearly, nearly a third of the population in Alexandria were Jewish. So there's a great Jewish pop- population in Alexandria. Alexandria is uh, they're who we give credit or responsible for our Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. So it's from this place that this guy, Apollos, is coming from. Uh, Alexandria was the home of uh, the philosopher Philo and Clement and Athanasius. That's a place like we've seen already, highly intellectual, uh, but very Jewish in a sense. And so uh, here's this Jew who was from this place. Uh, the first thing that we see about him, not just where he's from, but that he was a very learned man. Uh, look at the text. It says that he was elo- he was an eloquent man. And this word eloquent, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful word, but it's not just in the idea that he was a great speaker, but like he was 
And we see that he was passionate. He was, when, when, when he talked, people listened. He was very eloquent. Uh, as a matter of fact, we see it when he gets to Corinth that this word refuted, oftentimes, and not to say that he's a better preacher than Paul, but there's a chance he may have been. Uh, because uh, not once have we seen Paul, we saw Stephen do it, refute to a point where he destroys his enemies, all right? Uh, Paul oftentimes just made them mad and he left, but we see at the end when it says that he was in Corinth refuting the Jews, that word literally means he laid waste to them. Like, he, he obliterated them. So anyway, we see that he is very, he's an eloquent man. He's a man of knowledge, ideas he can articulate. But the scripture also says that he is competent in the scriptures. Yours may even say mighty in the scriptures. Now, that word mighty there is the word dunamis, where we get a word dynamite, as in his understanding of the Old Testament, and specifically how it pointed to Jesus, was bar none. He was, he, he was eloquent in his speaking, and he was competent, mighty in the scriptures. Scriptures are obviously Old Testament. He, so he, he, was, he, was, he was a very learned man. And then it says that he was instructed in the ways of the Lord. That word instructed is the word catechism, where we get our word catechism. So what we understand is not only was he eloquent in his, in his speech, and not only was he mighty in the Old Testament, but his, even maybe from a childhood that he was, he was faced with this, or he taught this, just this catechism is a way of teaching where you simply just, you, you, you ask a question and you give the kid the answer, and through repetition, they begin to learn what that is. We, we work with that with the EVN. Uh, where we just say, who made you? God created me. What else did God create? God created all things. Why did God create you in all things? For the praise of his glory. And so anyway, you just began to, as a system of repetition, so we see this is that guy. Uh, he's eloquent in speech. He's, he's competent and mighty in the scriptures. And he, is, he has been instructed, and look here, in the way of the Lord. And so I believe, and uh, like I said, I don't, I believe this about that terminology. A lot of times you see the way of the Lord. Uh, specifically, it's in the coming of the Messiah. Uh, if you look through the Old Testament, even to John the Baptist, he was coming to what? To prepare for the way of the Lord. And so I think that even from a young age, this man had been taught and catechized in a sense of there's one that's going to be coming. He's going to be the Messiah. Uh, and so he was, he was instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was a learned man. Secondly, he was a passionate man. Look at that. Word here, he says, he, uh, and being fervent in spirit. Now, yours may actually even say fervent in the spirit. If you look, if, if you have like, my Bible has like a number six, like a little footnote there, you go down to the bottom, and the, actually the, the original translation was in the spirit. So there's a sense in which this is where Apollos gets a little uh, fuzzy, if you will. Is he a believer before this point? Or after talking to a Priscilla and Aquila, he becomes a believer after that. So is he like an Old Testament saint in the sense at this point? Or does, and so my answer is, I don't know. Uh, I, I do believe, I believe that he was a believer before here because we, we don't see him be baptized afterwards. We don't see that, that, John, that, that Luke, I think if he would have had to get rebaptized, Luke probably would have included that. Uh, but, and so he would have been baptized under John the Baptist, but just like the disciples, the disciples weren't rebaptized after the Holy Spirit came. What? Their baptism before was accepted. And so anyway, we have to remember the book of Acts is a very a transitional time in history. Right, so we're 2,000 years removed. What we're seeing is like Judaism being fulfilled in Christianity, but you still have this kind of this crossing between of the old covenant and the new covenant, if you want a sense in which the things that are going out, things are coming in. But anyway, it's pretty crystal clear for us in Scripture now. But 
get ahead of myself. He's, a, he's fervent in spirit. Literally, it's a, it's a medical term that he's boiling. He's boiling within. So not only do you have a guy who is eloquent in speech, mighty in the scriptures, catechized since as a kid in the ways of the Lord, but he's got the passion to share it. Man, Apollos is like the dude, right? Like, this is the guy that I want to hear preach. Not only does he know everything, not only is he clearly articulate, but he's got the fire within his bones. Could be of his own spirit. It could be the spirit. But nevertheless, there's a boiling within him to, to preach. Apollos is an accurate man. Look at that word there. It says, he spoke and, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So I believe that's the ways of the Lord. He, I, I think that regardless if he was a believer or not, I think he had, had pegged Jesus as the Messiah. He believed in Jesus as the Messiah because he's clearly, accurately articulating the things of Jesus and things about Jesus. That word, uh, clearly, it's, it, it's, or he accurate, it literally means to carefully or diligently and deliberately as in he wanted, he wanted to teach it correctly. He didn't just want to get up there and make people look. He wanted to make sure he was honoring the scriptures and teaching them the way in which they were supposed to be taught. Man, you couldn't ask for a better qualities of a communicator, of a, of a preacher, a pastor, someone who has knowledge and passion, but also very careful with the text. Uh, and, and so this is that man. But Apollos was a lacking man. It says this. He knew only the baptism of John. John being John the Baptist, his baptism would have been a baptism of repentance. I believe that he'd been baptized, and at the bare necessity or essentials, he believed what John the Baptist taught. And what did John the Baptist teach? That there, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he had already believed in Christ as Messiah. That's a non-negotiable, like that's there. And one thing that we can't do in this text, which I saw a lot of commentators doing this week because it's flipped down the road, we can't read into the text things that aren't there. Like, well, if he wasn't, then this is what it would mean. What I do believe is that he's teaching accurately the things of Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John. So the question comes up, is this a salvation deficiency? Does he need to be saved? Is this a Christocentric deficiency? Does he not believe who Jesus is? Or could it be, as the text is saying, it's a, it's a Christian baptism issue. That he didn't understand the order. Maybe, so also another thing that because the gospel had spread, obviously already spread to Egypt, um, but there was no church that we know of there. there. A lot of the Christianity that we see here is like taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so he comes in, but anyway. Is this a Christian baptism issue, which would infer that maybe he didn't understand the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming and how he's empowered, how he sealed believers and that he's, he's empowering believers and gifted believers. I, I, tend to, I tend to lean toward it was more of an under, not understanding Christian baptism and the covenant in which it, it represents and that Christ has come and he's died and he's been buried and he's raised again. And, and we have been likened to that death and burial and resurrection. He has covenanted himself to us for all of eternity. And uh, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I think from what the text here says and what it doesn't say is that it's more about just actually what baptism is. I could be wrong, but that's okay. Like I said, as commentators are read this week, it was 50-50 all the way through. But I tend, I, whenever I struggle, just as a pastor, I'll tell you, when I struggle with that, I try to go bare necessities what the text says. 
I don't try to read in what, if he did this and that. This is what the text says. This is all Luke gave us. And what is it? It's a baptism. So if we're going to, I accept baptism. I'm okay with that. Because regardless of the fact, we know he's a believer when he goes to Corinth. We know for a fact that he is trusted in Jesus and encouraging the churches and refuting the Jews when he gets to Corinth. That clear as mud there. Everybody good? We're ready to roll? We'll keep moving forward. And here's what I love about it. His knowledge and his passion, even though deficient, caused him to move to action. Look at verse 26a. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He may not knew he was wrong, but he knew that he, tried, he believed in Jesus, and he was going to speak it boldly. He was passionate about it. It's crazy what happens. Here you go. When our passion for Jesus lines up with our knowledge of Jesus, how we can actually gain boldness in that. As in, if we truly believe what we say we believe about Jesus, and we let that saturate our heart, guess what's going to happen? We're going to become passionate about that Jesus. And when those two marry, we'll be affectionately calling people to trust in him. Even if we don't know everything. So we understand he didn't know everything. And that's encouraging to me, by the way. That here's this man who eventually becomes very well known in Corinth. So, I'll get ahead of myself here. So much so that there were, there were people divided in Corinth that some wanted to be of Apollos and some wanted to be of Paul. Like they, they loved him there. And here's the application to that text is this. And actually, throw it up on the screen there. The very, it's better to be on fire and lacking some knowledge than to have all knowledge and not even sparking. Because I really saw this dude who didn't, he didn't even have the full picture yet. But man, he was passionate about sharing what he knew. And what our tendency is, and I saw this in school and everywhere else, is that the more knowledgeable, not for everybody, but often the, the risk is, and I think we'll get to this in a minute, we have to guard ourselves to feeling like we've arrived, uh, is that the more knowledge we get, the less zealous we get. I've, I, I, even in my own life, I remember when I first got saved and definitely began to trust the Lord and like in my 17, like being 17 years old, playing on the basketball team, and I didn't really care about basketball. I just wanted to make sure that my teammates knew Jesus. And so this is, I was a shy kid, still pretty shy. It takes everything I have to get up here. But I remember talking about Coach going, go, Coach, can I start doing devotions before, this is before every, every team had devotions before games. Me and a guy named Justin Graves, who a lot of you know, went to Coach Broom and said, hey, can we just start sharing the gospel with our teammates? And we began to every, and then I remember Miss Dixon's class, my senior year in high school, and we got to write a paper on our hero. An essay, and I wrote about half of it with my sister Michelle, and I said, Ms. Dixon, can I write about Jesus and this other side? And, she, and where did that passion go? All of a sudden, I started to know things, and I've lost passion. Anybody been there? Like, like the freshness of knowing Jesus somehow dulls down because we become wiser or more mature? I wrote it like this. Don't be an unlit candlestick. Get, get in the word and let the word get in you. Sit in it long enough that it actually arouses your, your passions for Jesus. If our study in the word is not a arousing or raising up within us a passion for Jesus, then we're not in understanding of that word because the, the, the word points to him. Ask the Lord to give you a burning passion to share the good news of Jesus. 
So Apollos came in on fire, but he was flickering. We see that he didn't quite understand the full picture. Secondly, we see that Priscilla and Aquila fill in the gaps for him. So he's up there. He is passionate. He's preaching his heart out. And there's old wise Priscilla and Aquila out there, old tent makers. Been with Paul for a while now and go, the boy's good, but he's just not quite there yet. Which I, I want to say, I want to thank many of you who have done that. Y'all hired a 29-year-old. Not that I'm nowhere near good, but I've had many people since I've been here for, what, eight, seven, eight years, however long it is, just pulled me to the side in times where I've, I've lacked and times in which whatever. And so I appreciate you being that Priscilla Aquila's for me. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, uh, y'all, y'all hired a 29-year-old as a pastor. What were y'all thinking? Uh, Look at the text. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, well, look what they did. They took him aside. Notice the manner in which they're going to explain. They said they didn't blast him on social media. They didn't call him out in, in the synagogue. They didn't call him out in front of everybody. They said, no, no, you're wrong, young man. They didn't label him a heretic because he didn't quite get all the picture. What are they? They probably said, hey, Come to our house and eat dinner with us. Man, it's a beautiful picture of gentleness and humility of Priscilla and Aquila who brought this young man in and said, hey, here. They said, it, actually, it, it says they explained to him the way of God more accurate. That word accurately there is the same one that's used of Apollos and accurate to things is, is carefully and deliberately. What they did is they didn't just go, Apollos, you're missing it. They sat down and they carefully and deliberately pointed to the full picture of baptism. They didn't tell him, you dummy. They sat down with him and said, hey, here's, here's the bigger, bigger picture, more accurately. So to see the manner of their explaining, it was, took them to the side. They did accurately, but also the seriousness of their, as in, this is something big enough that they thought truth important enough that we'd pull this dude to the side and say, hey, Here's the real truth. And I wrote it like this, that we should, we should have that same seriousness when it comes to the Word of God and the truth, especially Christ, that we want it to be articulated accurately. Because right? there's a lot of mixtures of the gospel out in the world, even in Jones County, even in a 50-mile, 30-mile radius of where we are. There are different versions of the gospel and of the word that are being taught, and as, as us as believers, not that we're perfect, but our aim and our desire is that it's done accurately to the best of human possibility. Why? Because we commit ourselves to God's truth. Because it and it alone is what can transform and change a life. But another thing that's not written out here, but I think we have to see it, is not only the manner... And the seriousness they're explaining, but the humility of Apollos. Let's back up to the first couple of verses. This dude was eloquent. He was good. He was mighty in the scriptures. Instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was boiling with passion. And now he has these two poor tent makers that brought him into their house to teach him the real truth. Look at the humility. He didn't, he didn't refuse. He, didn't, he went and said, matter of fact, he adhered to what they taught. Look at the humility of him. 
this bright, competent, powerful man being corrected by two tent makers. And we can learn a lot from Apollos here in this text. Even though Luke doesn't write it, we can learn a lot from it because this man submitted himself to those who were more mature in the faith, if you will, and adhered to what they were teaching in the more accurate way. We often tend to think too highly of ourselves. And Scripture tells us that we must guard ourselves against pride in a sense. Uh, that ultimately we have to guard ourselves, not to, the, the, we sing a song, all hell has arrival, but oftentimes we feel like we have arrived to a point. We're never beyond God's instruction. We're never beyond God's teaching and God's correction and reproof. And I think Apollos is an example of that. On, on paper, he had everything. He he was the leader. They were the followers. He was the one up the mouthpiece. They were the ones who were just there to be the encouragers. No, but the, he humbled himself even to Priscilla and Aquila and submitted to their wisdom and their leadership. It's a beautiful picture of Apollos there. Thirdly, y'all going to get out of here quick. You know I'm lying. Thirdly, Apollos leaves more on fire, and he goes to Corinth. So Apollos comes in on fire. He, he's flickering a little bit. He's, he's, he's there. Something's missing. Maybe, it's a, maybe there's some power from the Holy Spirit because he's not. Maybe there's a sense in which he's, he's, he's powerful, but yet he doesn't quite grasp Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And so now he's even more on fire, if you will. Uh, and this is what the text says. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, which is Corinth, the brothers encouraged him. That's, that's important for us to notice that the brothers encouraged him. It means that there's actually a church established in Ephesus here, and there's a, there's a system, there's leadership, and that these brothers, um, they, first they encouraged him. Uh, as in, we believe the Lord is calling you to this. Some people even have said that the reason why, because it seems random, but the reason why he uh, wanted to go to Corinth is maybe he heard about it from Priscilla and Aquila. And how God has started to work there and that through Paul and the ministry there that the people were being saved. And the promise that Paul or God had given Paul that there are many people in this, in this city this, that are mine. Uh, and so we don't know why, but we, he's being led and the brothers put their hands of support. They encourage him, say, yes, we, we support this work. Which is another thing about him, not that we just want to be like Apollos, but... Uh, it shows us that he's not a wild card or a lone ranger, that he's submitting even to the, the leadership within the church body at Ephesus here, that he's going out in their recommendation, in their encouragement. And then it says this, that when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. So these people that we read about in the beginning of 18, uh, and many believers after that, there was a church there. Uh, and when Apollos got there, it says he greatly helped those through grace who believed. And secondly, he refuted, powerfully refuted the Jews in public. So we see his ministry happening in Corinth where he was in one sense, he was strengthening the believers who received Christ through grace by faith or by grace through faith, uh, and now he's powerfully refuting the Jewish, 
the Jews in public, like I said, the word powerfully refuted literally means to overwhelm or destroy as in he was so good now with a full picture, right? Like he was powerful before Priscilla and Aquila filling in the gaps. Now he's even more on fire and more equipped that even the Jews who were the most, the only place we ever saw that was Stephen. In Acts 6 and 7, that they could not, they could not handle the, the spirit in which he spoke. We see it here with this guy, that, that, that he was refuting them. He was laying them out, if you will. And what we come to read by reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, and it's, I'm going to have some verse up on the screen, is that he became greatly loved and effective in Corinth. Like, loved to the most, like, that they were trying to put him against Paul and Paul against him. We follow Apollos, and I think we can learn something from here, and this is where I'll wrap this up this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, this is what we read. So this is, so remember, let's go back to the beginning. And so here, Paul begins his third missionary journey. He's in Galatia. Remember, he had been in Corinth, went to Ephesus, went to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, and then into Galatia. Well, while he's in there, Apollos comes to Ephesus, and it's almost like they're doing this, right? So, so Paul's going to continue to do his missionary journey. He's eventually going to arrive back to Ephesus and Corinth, but while he's going here, Apollos leaves and goes to Corinth. The God had already started to work there, but now Apollos comes into Corinth, and, and he begins to teach. We see that he greatly helped the believers. He refuted the Jews there, and 1 Corinthians 1.11 says this, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas. Time out for a more follow Christ. This is how big of a dude, like big deal, like this guy's been placed in the same name categories as Peter and Paul and even Christ, right? And so like this dude is not just this random guy. He became very effective in Corinth. Uh, but anyway, some say I follow Paul, some Apollos, and I follow, some say I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so in Corinth, he becomes so effective over there. This is just kind of showing you how the Bible ties into itself. He was so effective, what well, we see him in chapter 18, that they began to almost make him godlike and wanting to follow him. And then check out, and I love this, verse 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Paul addresses it again. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through, through whom you believe. Check that. Just the servants that God used for you to believe in Christ. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted. We saw that in the beginning of chapter 18. Paul came in and he planted the gospel in Corinth. And then who's the next person to go to Corinth? A guy named Apollos. And what does he say? I planted, Apollos watered. And we see it, like we see the text opening up and cl clears that. And so we, we see it here. That so Paul came in first. He planted. Apollos came in and watered. But check this. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. Who plants and who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. 
For we are God's fellow workers. Let's check this out. But you are God's field and God's building. What he's telling the church of Corinth, you don't belong to me and you don't belong to Apollos. It's not about the planter or the water. It's about God getting his glory. And, and I wanted us to kind of end there is because we've been in this Acts long enough that we've probably got a kind of got our, uh, we've been attracted to or our focus has become on characters of Acts. Peter and his zealousness and Paul and his intellect and Apollos and his, his eloquency. I wanted to remind that the, the purpose of the book of Acts, yes, is to get us a history of the church, but it's how God worked in the world to bring about his purposes and his plans. And what it looks like for us is that you may not know this, uh, but having a church that has two teaching pastors, especially here in Laurel, Mississippi, is a very unheard of thing. And I want to echo what Paul tells to the Corinthians. You are not my field and you're not Luke's building. You're God's field and God's building, and we're just called to steward God's word as accurately and deliberately and passionately as we can so we can point you to Jesus, and your passion for Jesus can arouse within you that your intellect and your passion can marry one another, and we can change Jones County. And it's not about us. It's not about Ryan. It's not about Daniel leading on stage. It's not about Paul with the youth. We are all, full, some of us plant, some of us water, but only God brings the growth, and he alone is due our worship, listen to me, our allegiance. This church isn't built on Apollos. It's not built on Paul. This church is not built on Justin or Luke or Ryan or John Stock's story. It is built on Christ and Christ alone. We, we hope to build it in a way if that God saw fit to take us out that the church would keep going on because it's not built on us. It's built on this word because he brings the growth. And so what do we do? We faithfully teach this thing to the best of our ability. We plant, we water, and we pray that God brings the growth and we give him all the praise and honor and glory when it does. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this story of Apollos who who was evidently gifted and smart, but God, you took two humble tent makers to mentor him and direct him to a greater knowledge of your plan and your purposes. God, I pray against even in my own heart, if I ever get to a place that I feel like I've arrived, that you remind me I am nowhere near gifted as smart as Apollos, that I can submit myself to your instruction through anyone at any time. God, I pray for us as a church that we will sit in your word, we get in your word, and we pray that you put it in us. God, I truly believe the greatest energizer to my passion for Jesus is not an emotional song or an experience, it's your word. And God, the more I put myself in your word and submit to your word and obey your word, the more Jesus I'm going to know. Father, Jesus told the disciples in the gospels that if they loved him, he would, that they would keep his commandments and that he would come and make a home and 
with him. And one of the disciples thankfully asked, how is that possible? He said, if you love me and as you obey my commandments, my father and I will make ourselves known even more to you. So God, may we fall more in love with your word. And as we do that, your Holy Spirit will illuminate our eyes to see more of Jesus. And that your spirit can harness that passion and that knowledge that we could be effective tools for your kingdom here in Jones County. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can stand.